when darkness speaks a louder word than the truth that we have heard we will fight to believe and remember you said it's finished it is done and by your blood we we will never trust in you and remember, oh, we'll remember, oh, and we will not forget, you are always with us, we will not forget, you are always for us, we will not forget, oh, we will not forget you, you to stand with us and, uh, and uh, sing with us. If you're logging in online, don't be a spectator. Actually sing.
I'll stand together and read the scripture, God's holy word. Look on the screen and um, say the scripture along with me. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it.
you worthy that makes you God and God we just stand before you as your kids or just in, in all of your goodness in all of your mercy your, your graciousness to us your goodness Lord the, the way you protect us even from those things that we don't see and that we don't know God we ask Lord as we as we open your word this morning we ask that you would open our hearts open our ears to hear exactly what you have to say in Jesus name we pray amen you may be seated for those of you at home you may be seated I, that was funny, funnier in my brain, I guess, than it worked out. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Uh, I happen to know that people are traveling and on the road listening. Uh, don't close your eyes while we pray, but we're glad that you can log in, and we've got lots of people watching online, and we just want you to know uh, how glad we are uh, 
Um, actually, a personal note. Uh, this has been Operation Christmas Child Week, and, and, and we have had so many neat volunteers, and we appreciate that. This wraps up tomorrow. In this weird season, we kind of didn't know what to expect, but uh, there are crates of boxes out there, and tomorrow is our biggest day when we load them into a truck, and I think there's like seven or eight different area churches, regions that will be bringing their boxes, and we will actually fill two semi-trailers uh, with boxes that will head off to Dallas, and in Dallas they open them and they prepare them for international uh, uh, you know, acceptance into those countries. I'm forgetting the word right now. But uh, anyway, so it's exciting. And those boxes go into villages. Every one of them will be uh, put in, con in connection with an evangelical pastor who has gone through training through Samaritan's Purse so that as they distribute those, they present the gospel and they offer an opportunity for follow-up, 11 weeks of discipleship. So as much as we love to give gifts to children across the globe, it is a tool with which the gospel is presented. And I want to thank you so much for participating, bringing in boxes. Some of you have been building boxes online. Uh, and if, you, if you'd still like to do that, if you will email us or text us, we'll make sure to get you the address for where you can do that. Uh, that's what we did this year. If you're trying to be uh, safe, socially distanced, that's a great way to be actively involved. Uh, tomorrow is our big day in the afternoon. If you have a strong back between 2 and 6, uh, we could sure use you helping us load the trailer. We'll have a forklift here that will make it a little easier, but uh, we need to load those up, so that's tomorrow afternoon. Um, as far as Carpenter's Way go, God continues to bless us. It has been amazing to watch him work this last year. And actually, we, have a, we had a new membership class. For those of you who have been visiting or watching online who don't know how to become a member of Carpenter's Way, Four times a year, three, theoretically, four times a year except during uh, virus-laid years, we have what's called during the Sunday morning service a Carpenter's Way 101 class. And it starts at 9.30 and goes till about 11.45. But you meet all the elders, you meet the staff, we explain our doctrine, we explain how, what we do. And uh, we do that four times a year. And we just had a class a couple weeks ago of like, uh, I think there was like 15 people in it. I would, we were surprised. We were blessed by that. So we are beginning the interview process and bringing them into membership. And we're excited to announce uh, uh, Philip Taylor has now become a member, Kathy Stuckey, uh, Melvin and Loretta David, and their granddaughter, Emma Ralston, and Dad and Karen Wilkie. So uh, that was the hardest one. That was... There was a lot of weirdness going on there, but, uh, and uh, Mama Karen is, is what I call her. She is my stepmother and glad to have her here. If I just called her mom, everybody would be going, oh, you're Mark's mom, and then she'd have to explain it all. So anyway, we're excited. We have, a, we have quite a few more that are still in the interview process, but uh, if, you, uh, if God is calling you to Carpenter's Way, we want you to jump in. Why membership? Uh, I, where I grew up, membership wasn't a big deal like it is in the South, and I got to be honest, it's a great business decision. Because it protects us, it allows us, the church, while led by elders and deacons, the church belongs to the ministers, which is the flock. And uh, we want your involvement, we need your involvement, it ties you to us, it ties you to accountability, and uh, we're glad to have it. And if you have any questions about Carpenter's Way as you're visiting with us, you can call, you can email, you can text, and we can have coffee with masks on if you'd prefer. Uh, but pastors don't get COVID, so... Uh, uh, anyway, uh, every generation has had its where were you when question. Every generation has had a seismic event that seems to be transformative through your life. For instance, if I was to ask some of you where were you when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, 
you'd, you'd remember immediately. If I were to ask you where you were when you heard that JFK was killed or that Martin Luther Jr. had been shot, you would know exactly where you were at that moment. If I were to ask where you were on 9-11, you would know. Most of you would know exactly. I remember I was driving to a hospital to visit a guy who was about to have surgery. And when I got there, the TV was on and he was watching it. And I got there just in time to see the building fall. Something I couldn't even fathom. Those huge buildings. But I remember that day. I remember Julie and I sitting in our backyard. And uh, we lived, uh, uh, many guys in our church in Ohio worked for uh, Cleveland Center, which is a FAA uh, directional control. Um, and uh, I remember hearing that they had shut down. We, could, we would watch planes high up in the air go over our house because there was a beacon near us and that's where they turned. But to make a long, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you more than you need to know. But I remember sitting in the backyard that night how weird it was that there were no planes in the sky. If you remember, they grounded everybody. I remember all that. I remember telling Julie, she's like, what do you think's going to happen? I said, it can't be good. I remember thinking that the next thing might be a, some sort of bomb or something. It was, it was weird, and, and we remember. Some of those examples predate many of you, uh, the, the younger in our flock, uh, but now we have a new one. We have a new one in, in, in this year. I mean, where were you when you all of a sudden realized the coronavirus could hit home? It feels like, uh, you know, I remember the first round of coronavirus, we didn't have anybody in the church who had gotten sick, this, uh, but we did know people who knew people. But this last three or four months, we've had quite a few people at church, and uh, I appreciate you, uh, on a side note, thank you for putting up with us. I'm not sure that we as elders have made all the right decisions about it, but we have not had an outbreak at Carpenter's Way because of Carpenter's Way, so we feel pretty good about that. That's, we were trying to protect you all, and, and uh, we're going to be opening up in January. We're very excited for the vaccine. Uh, we're going to get one for each of you. So, but... Uh, I, that was a joke because I will get a text asking how are you going to do that, but that's a joke. But it's nice that the vaccines are coming out. They're going to be more effective, it sounds like, than the flu. Uh, but in any case, in any case uh, hopefully sometime next year we'll be out of, uh, you know, we'll be able to go back to whatever normal is going to look like in the near future. Uh, one, there's a, you know, there's some good that come out of it. Uh, I think the church is having asked herself why we go. I think people are questioning themselves. But it was, a, it, it was such a, it, it, moments like these that we're talking about are, are big life-altering time stamps um, that alter our worldview from that moment on. Um, unfortunately, most of them are negative events, uh, as we've seen this last year. I mean, 2020 hasn't just been about the pandemic. I mean, not only has there been a global pandemic, but there's been an economic recession, mass unemployment, political division, Cultural upheaval, deeper than ever racial division. I don't know, deeper than ever. That was Mark's comment. But deep racial division, record wildfires out west, complete with fire tornadoes. Kind of crazy. We've had extra powerful hurricanes, floods. And I, you know, the thing is that these are just the mass events. These are just nation, national events, worldwide events. But after all these, we have our normal life crises with families. Sick family members, people who are going through difficulty because of work, financial struggles. It, it feels like actually now, um, all right, Kevin, get ready. I'm going to show you very shortly a, uh, a, a, new, a new elf on the shelf that's coming out this year. Go. That's it. Turn it off. I don't want any of your kids. Turn it off, Kevin. Thank you. Julie said I shouldn't show you the elf on the shelf for 2020 because it would upset your kids. That's not true, children. 
But the fact is, it looks like it should be. I mean, it's been, it's been that kind of year. And I was so excited that 2021 was coming until people started saying it could get worse next year. I don't know what that means, but you need to stop. Just stop. It has been a crazy year, and we've all been living with it. I call it weird. But I'd like to say that if there's ever been a year where we need Christmas, this is it. This is it. If there's ever a year we need the hope of Christmas, this is it. If there's ever a year that we need Christ, this is it. This is it. If there's ever a, a time when our eyes need to be lifted beyond what we normally look at, this is it. And I would like to congratulate you because you've made it to Advent. Not to Christmas yet, because whether you know it or not, and we haven't talked a lot about Advent at Carpenter's Way in my time here, but I decided we needed to this year. Advent is actually not the Christmas season. It is the season before the Christmas season. It's the season when we look forward to Christmas. But we did make it to Advent uh, after this week. And I have, uh, when I, 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 I wrote... I wrote on Facebook a few weeks ago that we had decided to decorate, and I heard from all of you who didn't think it was wise to do that. I'm going to explain why I think that people feel that, but get over yourself. We decorated, and our house is all lit up. We needed Christmas this year. We need something hopeful, something to remind us, not just the lights, but let me get back to Advent for a second. Advent is not merely an extension of Christmas. It's actually its own season. And it has its own function as a link to the past, as hope in the present, and ultimately it points us to the future. Advent offers us the opportunity to share or try to think back, to reflect on. And this is, as I've studied for this the last couple of weeks, as I've read through this and I've prayed through this and I've thought through this, I want you to listen to what I say this morning. Not just the big idea, but there's a lot of little things that I wrote and, and that were written and that I wrote and I read. And, and much of this, by the way, was written by other people, but just things about Advent. I didn't grow up in a traditional church. So Advent, I actually thought that Advent was the beginning of Christmas. It's not. It's its own thing. It's supposed to prepare your heart for Advent. And we have done Advent in our home uh, several times, but it's always looking forward to Christmas. What I didn't realize was it's an opportunity for us where we actually step back and we look at the Christmas themes, which, by the way, are characteristics or attributes of God. If you've ever done Advent, if you grew up in a liturgical church, uh, the themes are love, joy, hope. They're the characteristics of God. They're the things that we get, as we've been talking about, when the Holy Spirit comes in. But Advent is our opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, which we do every year. We're going to celebrate. We always talk about that. We celebrate his birth, but to actually remind us that if he kept his promises back then, he's going to keep his promise to us to come again for us. You see, Advent isn't just about what happened, because that's boring. We know that. One of the, okay, I'm going to tell you, okay, we're family, so bear with me. Easter and Christmas, Jeff Bonin and Chad and I will tell you, are the most difficult for pastors. A new way to tell an old story, a way that entertains, a way that interests, it's tough. And it is amazing to watch every year how God makes it meaningful. But Advent, uh, working up to Christmas, is not really working up to Christmas, it's to remind us that if God kept his promise at Christmas time, in a season that seemed hopeless, a season where they had waited, and I'll get into that later this morning, 
If God kept his promise back then, you can trust him to keep his promise in the future. That it should propel our brains beyond Christmas, looking back in that silent night, that little manger in the barn, to remind us beyond that, God has promised to come and take care of us as children. Advent is an opportunity to, yes, look back, but to remember God is with us, Emmanuel is still with us, but that because He's with us now, He will return for us in the future. I know what some of you may be thinking as I start talking about Christmas, because when I decorated, as I've already said, several of you Facebook messaged me. Thank you for sharing with me that you are nothing more than a grumpy Grinch. It's okay. But I think that the reason people feel that way, and many, many do, is because our Christmases have become frenzied and overwhelmingly busy. I think if you ask most people, this is just a guess, it's not a poll, because polls are not, no longer effective. But I think if you ask most people, the reason that Thanksgiving is their favorite holiday is because somehow in that, besides the cooking, it's actually fun. It's relaxing. We watch a parade in the morning. We eat food as it cooks. I love the smell of the food as it cooks all day. There's usually a football game that's uninteresting in the afternoon. Oh, sorry, my Dallas Cowboy friends. But that, there's usually a football game in the afternoon, and then uh, it's a perfect excuse for men to go sleep on the couch because uh, of the, you know, while the women clean. Amen, men? I can't believe you just said that. I do not agree with that at all. It's, it's a, it really is a nice day. The, sometimes some families, maybe all of our families, you go in the backyard and you throw a football around. And even in Texas, sometimes we're lucky enough to have a cool day, like 82 degrees. It's fun. And we love Christmas, but Christmas in our brains, in our psyche, even though we know it's about Jesus, it's totally associated with Christmas trees at the store, decorating your house, which is fun but overwhelming. It never seems to be done with making sure you get everything in the right place, with buying it, it's just a frenzied season of busyness. And even in the church, it becomes, I don't know, practicing for Christmas pageants. It's, it's uh, decor, merchandise, gift buying frenzies. It's a season that's supposed to be about peace and hope. We all know that. And, and look, I'm, I, know, I know we all hear pastors say this every year. Would you just bear with me? Because I'm not actually dogging it. I love Christmas. I love going into the stores with a mask. I love, I, I love it. I love Christmas. I, we like the dumb Hallmark movies. Do you know what? I know. I've already lost my man card. Just bear with me. Do you know why I like Hallmark movies? Because they're dumb. They're dumb. The storylines always end well. Somewhere in the middle, there's a minor catastrophe. It's not like Tombstone where everybody dies in, you know, the, the family. There's something in the middle where there's a crisis, and it's a big crisis, like, oh my goodness, my high school boyfriend is coming back to town. And yet I, I want her to love the new guy, right? I want her to love the new guy, or she's from New York, and her loser business-oriented husband is too much work-oriented, and she comes home, and she does fall in love with her high school boyfriend. I want her to dump that guy and come back. And I'll look at Julie mid-movie, and I'll say, Julie, please tell me she stays with this guy. And she goes, it's Hallmark, don't worry about it. You know, guys, understand this. You can get up in a Hallmark movie, go to the kitchen, get a snack, come back down, and you've missed nothing. <laughs> Within the first five minutes, you know exactly how it goes. You know, there's something about a Hallmark movie that I love. And you know what I love? It's, it reminds me of what I wish Christmas was. A little town with a little bit of snow and very nice people. Everybody likes each other. And it's, uh, you know, the crisis is a minor crisis. It's just fun. 
I mean, the things that people mock it for, the very reasons I like watching it. And so we do. But Christmas is really actually supposed to be better than a Hallmark movie. It really is. And if our focus is right, while we frenzy, we can, we can find what, what, what gives us hope, and we need it this year. I understand that some of us don't want to start early, but you know, one thing I told Jeff when I was talking about doing this series is the first two weeks of our Advent series, I don't want any decorations. I don't want any backdrop of color. I don't want green and red. I just want to talk about it. I want us to remove ourselves from all the romantic music, and I want us to think intellectually about hope. This morning is about hope. And I want us to go back into the story that you know so well. And I want us to look at two characters in that story that we often ignore. In fact, they're the very last part of the story, and I read it to you every year because I love it so much, the story of Anna and Simeon. But most of the time, well, because we only have so long at the Christmas pageant, we start with the angel coming and tell Mary and Joseph that they're going to have a baby. And then we go through that with the shepherds and the angels, and then they make their way into the barn. And because we can't actually act it out over the next two years, we go ahead and throw the, the, the magi in there that don't even show up till way later. <laughs> but they show up in our scene because they're going to be part of the big crescendo song at the end. And that's Christmas. And I think in some ways, as we limit our hearts and our minds to that, I think we miss out on 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 what, what Christ, the Christ child, actually brought to the scene. So let me step back for a second, and I want to explain to you what I hope we as a staff can bring to you over the next five and a half weeks. We want to take the five and a half weeks exploring the attributes of Christmas, which encapsulate, encapsulate the attributes of Jesus. While we do that, and we look at hope, peace, joy, love, and Christ himself, every, every night at 7 o'clock on our digital formats, that would be our app, our webpage, we are going to stream a testimony of a different family in our church who are going to tell you of a time in their life when they were feeling hopeless, restless, overwhelmed, concerned, down, and God showed up and brought hope, peace, joy, just brought his presence. Because if we're going to celebrate Advent together, then we have to realize that Advent is about looking back to see promises fulfilled so that we can look forward going promises are still going to be fulfilled. You see, our hope is not just found in actually the birth. In fact, the birth is just a birth. It's our hope, our redemption is found on the cross and the resurrection and the empty tomb. But our hope for the future is found in the promises of God who said, I will return. Seek first the kingdom of God. And while I think we have those ideas in our brain, I don't think we value them. I think this last year was a, was a terrible year unless you as a child of God remember that God has made you specific promises. That no matter how terrible your year may be, God is faithful. And so we're going to have 23 families. Why 23? Because on the 24th, we have Christmas Eve service. And we're going to have two Christmas Eve services this year so that we can still do social distancing and y'all can come and we'll do candles. We're going to do one at 5 and then we're going to kick you out of here at 5.30 and then we're going to do one at 6. And we want you to come in and we're going to celebrate in a 30-minute period 
the hope of Jesus Christ coming. We're going to celebrate. Then we're going to go home and we're going to open all those gifts we bought. And we're going to tell our families that there's hope beyond Jesus' birth. There's hope in His return. That's Advent. Advent isn't just 2020 Christians looking back and going, I want to feel what they felt. Actually, you can feel what they felt. Because as they were awaiting their promised Messiah, we too await our promised Messiah. His second coming. So as we explore these themes of Advent over the next few weeks, looking at how they were exemplified in different characters of the biblical Christmas story, and in the lives of those, uh, we're going to look at how it affected the lives of those who are worshipers of Jehovah every week. I'd like to begin with a little conversation about what was going on in the background when Jesus was born. We think we've had a bad year. Life was harder for the Hebrew people back in the days of the Bible. I think many of you are aware of this, but let me get a little specific. They, like much of the world, had been defe- were a defeated nation under the thumb of the evil Roman Empire. It was a harsh day to live. It was a time of conquest and brutality. It had been thousands of years since Abraham had been promised by God that he would be the father of a great nation. The Hebrew people had lived nearly 2,000 years having been invaded and conquered by enemies like the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then the massive empires of the Greek and the Romans. The fact remains that we can sit back and say that's because they they broke the Mosaic Covenant. It was their own fault. It doesn't matter what the cause was. It doesn't matter why. The truth is they were a very abused people. You think Jews have it rough today or Hebrews have it rough today. It was even rougher back in the day. These people were overwhelmed and discouraged. It had been generations and generations since the formation of God's covenant with the Hebrew people, promising that he would send a Messiah to make things right in the nation, to bless all humans by restoring all that we humans had messed up in the garden before at creation. The fulfillment of God's promise to them was that he would send a messianic figure that would come and make everything right. This wasn't just a happy idea that drifted in and out of their consciences or pastors talked about at church or rabbis. They actually cried out their deepest hope that sustained them and encouraged them and spurred them on, especially through the thousands of years of uncertain waiting. They clung to the promise God made to them in Genesis 12, 3. I want you to look at it. If it's there, there it is. This was a promise God made to their great, 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 and I can go back 30-some times. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This was something that they clung to. But their prayer had gone from, come Lord Jesus, to how long, O God? How long, O God, will you wait? Where are you? There was discouragement and frustration. And in fact, it's honestly amazing to me, as I read this last couple weeks, it's amazing to me that they had any hope left for a messianic character to come on the the scene. It's amazing that they kept their hope alive, but they did. Spoiler alert, Jesus was the one they were waiting for. The birth of Jesus Christ was a, was a national fulfillment of a promise God had made to them. <clears throat> so while we've been picking on our Jewish brothers and sisters and friends over the past year and a half as we studied Jesus' life and ministry, including the disciples who stare up into heaven and wonder if God's going to come back right away because he promised to make them a great nation, who are still asking as they walk to the Mount of Ascension, 
Are you going to establish your kingdom now? That is what they longed for because that's what prophecy promised them. Jesus was the one they waited for. As I mentioned, most of the time we end our Christmas story narrative with Mary and Joseph and Jesus at the stable surrounded by out-of-place magi and some donkeys. But today I want us to jump to Luke 2.22. I'd like for us to take a look a little more closely at a scene that is often ignored regarding the characters of Simeon and Anna. And now knowing the world in which they lived, the context, listen as I read. Then it was time for the purification offered as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. And we're talking about Jesus. So his parents, Mary and Joseph, took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So this is on the eighth day of his birth. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required by the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as required by the law, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now your servant can die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. I just want to point that out. I'm going to read that again to you. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Why did I read that twice? Because they are clueless. They have been told that they're going to give birth to God's son. But they have no idea what that means. So they're amazed when it's declared by a prophetic character. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He has uh, been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. There's a birth gift, but it's true. And we look back and know exactly why that's true. Verse 36. Anna, a prophet, who was also there in the temple, she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very, very old. Her husband died when, when uh, they, had only been, they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow at the age of, uh, to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna were sparks of hope in a very, very dark time. In fact, we could say that they were torches of hope, expecting God to come through on what he had promised them. They believed his promise. In fact, their lives were radically affected by the fact that they believed in his promise of a coming Messiah in that they waited for him every day. They looked for him because they believed it that much. When we talk about the return of the Lord, most of you at Carpenter's Way, just like me, when a preacher gets up and says, I believe now he's coming back, blah, 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 and you prophesize that he's coming back, our first thing is a rolling of eyes, because while we believe he's coming back, 
We have heard 150,000 times that he's coming back. He hasn't come back yet. So we're kind of like believing unbelievers. We just don't expect him to come back today. We're kind of like, I think, the 120 people in the upper room were on the day of Pentecost. They did not expect that to be the day the Holy Spirit would come. They met at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I believe, as I've shared with you what we've been studying, that they were on their way to the, the inner cities of Jerusalem and enjoying the celebration of Pentecost. They were still very religious Jews. But these two, Anna and Simeon, believed His promise, and they were waiting every day for it. They had seen and experienced many things in their lives, both hardship for their people and pain in their own lives. We know specifically that Anna had been a widow for decades, a position that was low social status. In fact, we learned from Acts that one of the things that you do with a poor person is you bring them into the, into the holy place and you pay them to pray and fast every day. Now, I can't tell you that's why Anna found herself in the, in the uh, temple doing that. She obviously believed, but she was probably fully supported by the temple to do this every day. We know that both Simeon and Anna had remained faithfully devoted to God. They were ready to see God act and to do great things based upon His promises. Did you notice in Luke's account that neither Simeon nor Anna seem the least bit surprised when they meet Mary and Joseph and the baby? In fact, I'd, I'd like to say that if you were paying attention, it tells us that Simeon actually went to the temple because he believed that was the day that the, the, that the Messiah would be born. The Holy Spirit had prompted him to go. Almost everywhere else in the Christmas story so far, it took convincing that God was going to do what he said. If you doubt that, and I want to be careful because Joseph is one of my favorite biblical characters. He is a man of great honor, and we'll talk about that as we get closer to Christmas. But let me just say that when Joseph is told that his wife is pregnant, with the seed of God. This was a man who grew up in Hebrew tradition. This should not have been crazy. Isaiah talks about God being born and the Messiah being born of a virgin. It talks about his name being Emmanuel, God with us. He should have at least went, well, this does fit my doctrine, but surely not her. But he doesn't. He doesn't believe her because women don't get pregnant by God unless they do. And Simeon and Anna believed God. I would argue Joseph took an angel and a dream. It took convincing. The shepherds took convincing and terror. It took God invading their world with glamorous, glorious, huge, supernatural things in order to convince them that he was fulfilling a promise that he had made over 2,000 years before. These two, day after day, year after year, spent time serving God faithfully, inspired by, inspired by the fuel of hope. Hope is a word we splash on a screen. Or you might see outside of a church or on a card. But hope is the fuel of faith. Hope is what keeps us going in years like 2020. Hope, not in stupid stuff like the aliens are going to come and rescue us. Not in hope that we're going to find a planet that will be for our grandkids to live on. But hope in the promises of God that He will fix wrongs, that He will make injustice just, that He will take us home to a place that's prepared for us, that He will honor us as joint heirs with Christ. Hope in what is coming, not hope in what we feel. As I was looking at the, these two characters and I was reading some things about them, there are three things that stand out that, that Simeon and Anna did that I think we can learn about hope during this season. Number one, Hope in God sees beyond hopeless moments or seasons. I, I can't 
I can't express enough how messed up the world in which the religious world, the secular world, the world in which Anna and Simeon believed in, how messed up it was. If you have any questions, when Jesus does come on the scene for 33 years, look at what they do to Jesus. Even the religious right was messed up. Simeon and Anna served God faithfully and trusted God at His Word from the Scriptures even when everybody else didn't like God's provision. This was a faithful man and woman of God and their faith and their hope was based not on what they felt or saw but on the promises of God. Hope firmly planted in God's promises. That kind of hope sustains us even in our deepest pain. Even in the weirdest year. Hope that's firmly planted in God's promises can chase away the darkness of uncertainty, depression, anxiety, fear about what this world looks like for your kids and your grandkids. Hope in God, not in a country that politically looks the way you want it to look or that's moral. Hope in God that can overcome immorality. Raising your kids to put their hope in God is what will sustain them. Reminding you that the same Jesus who served for 33 and a half years, died on the cross, rose again, ascended into heaven, just like he said. Hoping a God who promised that, who that was prophesied thousands of years before he came. Hope firmly planted in God. That is what sustains us right now. Not the vaccine, but it'll be nice. The problem with the vaccine is we'll get it, It will overcome COVID, and as we're getting out of the parking lot of the medical clinic, we go to get that shot, we get hit by a car and go to heaven. That's life. I I don't know the details because I know it surprises you, but who's the guy who tells you to eat no carbs? Huh? Atkins. Dr. Atkins. Is it true that he slipped on ice up north and died? How tragic of that. He was so good health. I mean, he could run and stuff. He was old, and he could run and exercise. I mean, I don't do the Atkins diet because I don't want to waste it. Some of you, I tease Jeff all the time. Jeff was an athlete in high school and college. He played baseball. And he's had to have some surgeries on his shoulders because of that. I said, the worst thing I get is carpal tunnel from changing the channel on my television. If I have a heart attack in the next few years, do not remind me of this. I'm aware. But, But the truth is, hope isn't found in living long Hope is found in living for God. What sustained Simeon and Anna in this was not a good week. It was a good God. They didn't always feel good. Romans chapter 8 is a well-known chapter in the Bible, but there's a section of it that often gets overlooked. It's in Romans 8 that, that Paul it clarifies there's no condemnation for those who are, of us who are in Christ. And he explains the love God has for us and how serious and how, how complete it is. But there's a section in the middle, verses 24 through 26, that we really don't look at very often. And I want you to look at it this morning. We were given hope when we were saved. If we really have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and what's the word confidently and the holy spirit helps us in our weakness for example we don't know what god wants us to pray for but the holy spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words let me reread part of verse 24 for you if we already have something we don't need to hope for it simeon and anna 
did not have salvation before them until that day that we, that's recorded for us in Luke. But they had hope for it. They trusted God. They believed in God. They stood firmly in His promise to provide a Messiah. A Savior, Simeon says, isn't just for the nation, but is for the world. And their hope was firmly planted. True hope in God exists before promises are kept. I want that to sink in. True hope in God exists before promises are kept, or you don't need hope. In other words, in 2020, hope tells us that God's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Not because it feels okay. Not because we think the right guy's in office or the right party's in control. But because God is in control. That's where our hope comes from. Hope in God is the willingness to believe beyond what we feel, beyond our present circumstances and reality, and trust in something bigger than we feel in the moment. That's what Simeon and Anna did. The hope of Simeon and Anna was the decision to trust in God's promises of a Messiah to save them from their present pain, and the promises to them were bigger than their feelings or experience. And i got to tell you something, that kind of faith is rare in the Scriptures. Abraham Abraham didn't have that kind of faith. That's why he pimped his wife off twice. I'm going to say that I think, in my opinion, the greatest prophet of all time didn't have that kind of faith. Remember after uh, Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal? Remember what he does? He gets depressed and he sits by a river and doesn't eat. God has to slap him around and say, hey, you've got to eat. I've got to tell you something. I'm not in the big, flashy. I'm in the quiet. You've got to trust me. Because that kind of hope is hard to come by. It's hard to have, which is what I love about verse 26 in the context of Romans 8. It tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. A lot of you, after our, as we've gone through the study of Jesus' life, or for whatever reason I'm hearing a lot of you use it more, there is a guy that Jesus approaches who's begging Jesus to heal his daughter. And Jesus says, do you believe? And the guy goes, yes, I believe. Father, help me with my unbelief. Do you remember that prayer? That's the prayer of us. I believe you're going to make all things right. I believe that I will only die of coronavirus if I'm supposed to. I believe, I believe, I believe. And by the way, it would be nice if you could help me with my unbelief. That's the prayer of a righteous man or woman. And guess what? That verse says that the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you will help you with your weakness in that kind of faith. Which takes us really into the second thing that I think is interesting about Simeon and Anna. And that is that God was with them even before Jesus was born. While they couldn't see Him, touch Him, be thrown up on by Him, He was still with them. If you remember, Simeon comes into this place, into the temple, having been prompted by the Holy Spirit. And Anna had prayed since the seventh year of her marriage. Uh, she's an old woman, 80 years, 80-something years old, and most of her life except seven years of marriage and before that has been spent in the temple praying and talking with God. You see, intimacy with God is what bolsters hope. I believe one of the weaknesses of our religious community is we think that we can be close with God by going to church three times a week. Even if you commit yourself to Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and some other event during the week, I want to I warn you that intimacy with God is the result of doing what Anna and Simeon did. 
talking with him, interacting with him. And please understand that we're not talking about dear Jesus. It's not that kind of thing. You don't have to go into the forest for four hours. Guys, we're, most of us are not built that way. But you can talk to him. You can talk to him while you're driving your truck, while you're sitting in the hunting. Uh, the, the, I, I'm not going to hurt myself. Uh, wh- whatever you're doing, you could be rebuilding an engine and talking to God. In fact, some of you need to rebuild your engine and talk to God instead of the way you've been talking to your wife. Ladies, how about not calling your friends over a glass of wine to talk about how bad life is? How about talking with God? Actually believing that he listens, that he interacts with you. I know life is hard. I know homeschooling is scary. I know quarantining is worse than getting coronavirus. It's why our staff has separated the past year. They've enjoyed not being around me so much. But because if we all get quarantined, you're all going to have to come to my house during the quarantine to have Sunday morning service. That was a joke. Listen, you've got to walk with God. There's no replacement. All the religion in the world, every day, you can be a monk. And if all you do is religious piety and you don't spend time alone with God like these two did, you're not going to have biblical hope because you're not listening to the Holy Spirit as He transforms you, as He talks to you, as He comforts you. You see, with Simeon and Anna, God was with them before His birth. The birth was just a fulfillment of what He had promised to physically be among them. You know, for hundreds of years before Jesus was born, it was God's prophets that said, you will call him, what's the name? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So, if you, if you were a friend of Jesus at 10, you said, Mary, can salvation come out and play? Because that's what Yeshua means. If you were a friend of his at 32, and you called him Emmanuel, which was his name, you were saying, God with us, I have a question. How could you miss the signposts? Jesus was the Savior. Jesus is God with us. But he was with them before his birth. This hope that Anna and Simeon clung to in their painful lives is the same hope that we can cling to in 2020, and it is not a foolish hope. And I know, I know what some of us think, and you're not thinking it now, but if we were to have a conversation about intimacy with God, you would say, well, I pray all the time and I don't hear Him. Hang on to hope. You hang on to your marriage. I mean, in, for Julie, every year has been nothing but panacea. But for the rest of you, there are days, weeks, years, sometimes, that don't feel like the wedding day. But you haven't walked off. You stick with it. Because you know that at some point, better days are going to come. The demon-possessed children will leave. You'll find time to talk. You stick with it. Why don't we do that with God? You know, I, I, I've used this example, and all of us have probably said it, so I'm really not picking on it. I just want us to reflect on it. Over the past year, there's a lot of us who have said, wow, after this year, I, for the first time in my life, I look forward to the Lord's return. Think about what we're saying. That means until this year, we weren't looking forward to the Lord's return. Life was too good. We didn't need Him as much as we need Him now. That's what we're saying. You see, maybe this year wasn't as bad a year as we thought if spiritual value is really what we value. 
Maybe this was the best year of our spiritual lives because now we're going to decide if we really believe. Remember that the rest of the people in Jerusalem family, they were religious. They were hearing the same prophecies that Anna and Simeon were hearing. They had all of the same truths, all the same scriptures. They just didn't love God. They didn't trust God. What about us? You see, this Advent season gives you an opportunity now. You get to decide if you're really a believer in God or you're a believer in how God can provide what you want. That makes you God. That's a false God. We need to put our hope in God. What are the promises I'm talking about? Isaiah 43, how about this one? I love this one. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. When you, please notice when. What kind of word is that? Do we have an English teacher in here? When? Is that a preposition? I failed English 14 times. We have no English teachers in here? It's a verb? Adverb? Thank you. That's Barbara Haley at cwbc.org. I'm kidding. When, you know what that means, not if. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you're not going to drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's almost as if God knew that His people would experience difficulty, fear, and doubt. You are not alone. It's always been this way. But we can be like Simeon and Anna. The last thing, round and third. Hope inspired Anna and Simeon to carry on faithfully. It was their hope that kept them going, not their feelings, not a better politic, not a better church, not the right music, not the perfect Hallmark movie or the perfect Christmas or the family members that finally act like they should. It was their hope in God. In Romans 5, 2 through 5, Paul said that because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in His glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. For those of you who are with us on Wednesday nights, Zach taught a few weeks ago that there are three ways we're saved. Once for all, when we accept Jesus' offer to forgive our sins and, and repent of our sins. We are being saved right now from the ramifications of sin in our life. It's called progressive salvation or sanctification. I'm becoming more like Christ. And one day we will be saved. While we are saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. That's a promise. God promises to still save you. It's coming. This hope will not dis lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us His Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. This hope comes from God's Spirit will never, ever put us to shame. It won't let us down. It won't disappoint. Instead, hope that Bill is built on the promises of God is empowered by the third person of the Trinity and gives us new and growing strength to see beyond the pain and confusion in front of us or this past year to help us to fulfill His task for us on this side of eternity.
For those of you who are really struggling, and I know that there are some of you, and you're probably most of you are home. For those of you who are really struggling, I want to acknowledge that it can be super hard to lift up, lift up our, our downcast, tear-filled eyes to find hope, to look for a tiny spark. This sounds like just another message that's empty. It can seem difficult to reach beyond troubles, to grasp our Lord's outstretched hand to you. It can feel impossible to take the first step towards hope when we are weighted down by burdens. But there comes a time when you need to take what I call the iced tea plunge of faith. Do you guys remember that commercial in the 80s? It was like a guy with Lipton tea and he just falls back into the pool and that was just how refreshed he was. The truth is at some point you've got to decide what's going to save you. Is it going to be a president? Is it going to be a, a political group? Is it going to be a shot? Is it going to be a church? Is it going to be a pastor? Is it going to be a spouse? Put your hope in God. Make a decision to trust Him. Make a decision to serve. Make a decision to find joy. It can feel impossible to take that first step toward hope when you're weighted down by burdens. Isaiah 55, 1-3 says this to you. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. It is possible to drink away your stress. You can go to Colorado today and for the next few hours you can forget that you're, that you're afraid if you go to any little store with a picture of a beautiful little leaf on it. But it will leave you hungover. It will leave you broken. But the, the peace, the hope that God offers, the hope of Anna and Simeon, Simeon said in his prayer, I can die now. I've seen the salvation I've waited for. It is a hope that leads into eternity. There's going to be a day when every one of us is laying on a bed somewhere about to die and what we have done with God is the only thing that will carry us through the next doorway. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Come to me, Jesus, our God said, with your eyes, ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. We all know how much God and David were close. In that verse, in Isaiah, God promises if you run to him, he'll love you and make covenant with you in the same way he did David. There is a song that we're going to listen to a lot in this season. You're going to get so sick of it because it's a play on a Christmas song that we all love. We all know, O come all ye faithful. Well, this song has a twist on it. It calls for you unfaithful to come. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you overwhelmed? Is your marriage a mess? Are you tired of fighting with your family? Are your kids out of control? Is your health failing? Is your country discouraging? Do you go to sleep at night and have nightmares? Come. Come.
series, Come All Ye Unfaithful. And here's what I'm asking from you this morning, Carpenter's Way people, and those who aren't Carpenter's Way people. I'm asking you to give us this Christmas season, the Advent season. I'm asking you to gather your family starting December 1st. There's lots going to be lots of reminders. I'm going to text you. I'm going to email you. I'm going to mention it every opportunity the next few weeks. But I'm asking you to tune in every evening at 7 o'clock for five minutes 
And listen to how God has shown his faithfulness to a family member of this church, of somebody you know, somebody you're familiar with, and how God has written himself into their story, how he has been faithful in the past. And you might say, well, what's that going to do for me now? It'll remind you that God shows up. It'll remind you that God shows up. Christmas is great. Easter's better. Christmas is great. Do you know why Christmas matters this year? Because God kept thousands and thousands of years of promises. In fact, he made a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that through the woman's line there would be a Messiah born that would smash the head of the snake. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And if he kept his promises for thousands and thousands of years, even when people couldn't see it and didn't believe it, he'll keep his promise to you. And it was a promise to you. Because remember what he told Abraham. It is through your line that I'm going to bless the nations of the world. And we are here today because Jesus was born. So Advent season, here we go. Light a candle. Don't buy gifts. Buy a Bible. Give your kids Jesus this season. I'm, I'm kidding. That wouldn't be nice. Give me the gifts. But tell them that the reason we give gifts is because the greatest gift of all was given to us 2,000 years ago on that day. So, Father, I ask you to take every person that has heard this message and read these scriptures and thought about Simeon and Anna today, that you would give them peace as they go, that this week they would have unbelievable hope, and, Father, if their faith is weak, if their trust is doubting, may today be the day that they say, if you're there, Show yourself to me. And do it, Father. Show yourself to them. We love you. We do trust you. We ask you to help us now with our lack of trust. Give us hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon, everybody. God bless you.